You're listening to the Impact Interviews from the Martin Agency. Join us as we explore fresh ways to break through the noise, impact culture, and shape the future of advertising. In today's episode, Martin's Chief Strategy Officer, Michael Chapman, sits down with Mark Jameson, Head of Global Innovation Design for Visa. Mark leads design teams around the world, from Mexico City to Moscow, that explore and prototype emerging ideas in commerce. So we're here with Mark uh, Jameson, Global Head Innovation and Design for Visa. Thank you very much for being here. I just heard you speak, and as I was saying, uh, I don't leave inspired as much as I leave questioning my very existence about whether I'm doing the right thing, uh, having any purpose in my life, uh, and if I follow the rules as opposed to abandoning them like you have. Uh, but thank you very much for I'm happy for to being be here. here. Yeah. Um, you did start the conversation about uh, talking a little bit about your nonlinear path and, and how you sort of got into this world. And you spoke a little bit about not following the rules and being um, ambitious and doing things that maybe uh, didn't fight, uh, didn't fit with the, maybe the path that you thought you were going to be on. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that and why that maybe has been so important to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I mentioned it in the talk, but David Brooks just last week had an article or, or an, an op-ed piece where he talked about the five myths or lies that Western culture tells us. Uh, and one of them sort of fit this theme, which is we're, we're, we are taught to follow a track that career success means happiness. That if you go to the right high school and take the right classes and get the right grades, it gets you into the right college, uh, and you major in the right things, you can get the right internship, which then allows you to get the right job, and then you go to the right business school or graduate school, and then you get the right job. And the, the truth is, look, there are plenty of uh, tracked people who would then follow that track because they're smart and they're talented, but then they wake up at some point later in their life, maybe mid-30s, and they realize that they're, they're just unhappy and unfulfilled, that they've been following a set of rules that were imposed on them. And that's just not how we're created as humans. The truth is all of us are created with unique skills, capabilities, intelligence, talents. And my experience is the most talented people that we have on our team always have zigzag paths where they go where their interests follow. They, they, they do another job. They take a position because it scares them. They take a job because it's in a field that they know nothing about, but they're interested and they're curious and they're willing to invest energy and enthusiasm to learn something new and try and create something new. And those are the people who end up creating all the value. And so the, that's, I think that's the show. And and, and when you look for people, um, so are you actually actively looking, saying, okay, well, wait a second, have you done diverse and interesting things? And then what is the com- commonality, this passion, the curiosity, the you know get it done mentality? Yeah. Across our innovation network, where we have 12 of them around the world, um, we have a ridiculously diverse set of talent on every metric, uh, one of being diversity of thought and experience. And uh, what we found is that uh, some of our top performers have degrees in anthropology. Um, they have degrees in, well, my degree was in music and philosophy. Um, I actually had my joke is I have no skills for what I do for a living. Um, <laughs> it seems to be working. And what, what I find is that, that and by, so in interviews, I, I just ask people, like, what are you interested in? What are you reading? And then find a thing that they 
they built or delivered and say, how did you like really work that? Not like, oh, um, I, I helped launch this thing. Oh, really? What was the biggest problem you, you ran into? How did you solve it? Who do you have to work through to get that done? Like, did they actually do it? Or they were they just were, like, were they the core of the thing or were they an ancillary part mm-hmm. of it? And the most interesting creative people are always right at the core because they're just so inherently interested and full of energy for the thing. That's amazing. Um, you know, you're, the, the things that you're doing um, at Visa and certainly in the rest of your career have been sort of disruptive, category disrupting, um, you know, on the cutting edge, if not bleeding edge of what's what's out there and what's possible. Um, and to hear you speak, I think, well, gosh, everybody must just be a magnet to that and we're all going to do it. But I'm sure you run into situations where either internal clients or external clients aren't up to the same sense of ambition um, and or rule breaking and or thinking, you know, well outside of what the, you know, category norms are. Right. How do you, uh, you know, how do you bring those those people along? Yeah. It's, oh, it's it, that is uh, probably 30 percent of my job is overcoming that issue. Um we intentionally wrote into our team's charter that we are only going to work with the most ambitious clients. And that gives us a reason to really push them to say, look, do you want a me too thing? If you do, there's a hundred places you can go to get that. If you want to do something that's new and category leading, then we're the team of, of experts, of product managers, engineers, and designers who can help you pilot that thing and then prove that it's right and then scale it. If I could tell one one yeah, anecdote, yeah. which is, I think helps sort of solve this, is um, at the most senior levels of any big firm, they actually are starving for. They're always bring me new ideas. I need some big ideas. I need some company changing ideas. But somehow, as it through the layers, that stuff never gets to them. So we just did a, a big project for a, a North American client, where the president of the business said. Our competitors have launched, you know, our three other competitors have launched this product. We don't have one. We want to do one, but we're late. And I don't want to do a me too one. Like, how can we launch a product that is in the space, but different? Like, it needs to be differentiated. So we agreed to use our human-centered design team and work with his team for a period of three months to do primary customer research, to deeply understand the ways you could win in this category that's different from what anyone else had done. And we came up with three different examples from sort of Me Too-ish to one that was mildly provocative to one that was really kind of groundbreaking, so much so we even filed a patent for the the intellectual property on it. Um, It was the day before the presentation to the president of that business, and the team goes, we can't, we can't present this. We're going to just present number one and number two. Like, this is terror. Like, no way. We can't present this to them. We're going to get shot. And we said, nope, absolutely not. Like, blame it on me. Blame it on Visa. But we're going to present the most provocative one as part of Spectrum, and we'll see if he bites. Sure enough, we went to the meeting, presented to the three. What did he do? Oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I was asking for. We're going to have to do that. Let's make it happen. What resources do you need? What's the time frame? And now they're going to launch this breakthrough product. And I watched as the team, literally their body posture, when he said that, like they, they sat up straight and they were so proud. And it, it, I could tell that it was a revelation to them, like, oh, my gosh, the senior executives of this firm actually want us to do out-of-the-box thinking, to push them, to push the envelope, and to do some things that will challenge our industry. I mean, I, I, it, is such, it is so analogous to what I think we go through um, in terms of brand platforms or new yep. communication ideas or innovation when it comes to how we you know target or, or meet somebody and constantly um, you know uh, that middle layer sort of uh, becomes squeamish or maybe second second guests how we were act- cutting through the middle layer is yeah it? maybe I really uh, think it is yeah 
I mean, even in middle layer of thought, middle layer of people, I mean, anything. I mean, it's, it's that sort of safety net. I mean, that's why I love so much the beginning of your talk about ambition and, and freeing yourself up from the rules, because I also think the more you do it, you know, the actually it builds on yourself. You see, like that, that team, because you push them to actually put that in front of their C-suite, mm-hmm. said, wait a second, they want this. And now all of a sudden they want it more and more. So not only are you getting something out in the world, you've actually changed the trajectory of those guys as that's well. That's right. Um, you you know, talking about that, uh, you know that the the way that those two things work together, um, a lot of the innovation that you guys are doing isn't just about the consumer. I mean, it is about the consumer experience, but it's interesting and innovative enough that it actually is going to get out into the world and people are going to talk about it. I mean, the things that you were showing us in terms of AI, in terms of how connected a car is going to be that you did at CES. Um, you know, that stuff in and of itself will get conversation. Um, as marketers we are often trying to come up with communications and um, platforms that are going to cut through the, the cultural middle air, you know, and the cultural zeitgeist and get people to start talking about what's going on. How do you see the interplay of your marketing teams and your innovation group? I mean, do they work together now? Is it seamless? Is it something that should be closer? How do you see that? Um, let, let me give it a, a, a cut, which is, uh, in our innovation centers, the reason why our firm invests the large amount of money that it does against them was because we heard from our clients around the world. They said, our business is changing. There are all these new entrants. Uh, it used to be, I, if I were Bank of America, I competed against JP Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo and Capital One. Now I'm competing against Facebook and Google and Apple and increasingly from China, uh, WeChat and Alipay and Alibaba. And by the way, Amazon's moving into the space. Like, and we, we need like we need real help. Mm-hmm. And so we made that investment to try and help them win with their customers, even though we're a B2B business. And so what we had to partly do was shift the perception of Visa as a brand, which is this $350 billion market cap company that's been around for 50 years uh, that everyone sort of knows and so it might not be as new and exciting. So we worked really closely with our our marketing communications team and uh, just in the way that uh, society now consumes content now we just put together a really aggressive campaign uh multifaceted of just thought leadership we said we're going to claim thought leadership on these are the categories we're going to go after we're going to do a bunch of bite-sized content we're going to use twitter we're going to use youtube we're going to use linkedin we're going to use just all the things and just we're going to issue white papers that will go directly to our clients which is more traditional b2b marketing but we gave it a bunch of air cover mm-hmm. with uh, and so there's this constant stream of visa innovation thought leadership that's constantly hitting the market now that three years ago didn't exist. Two years ago, we sort of started. And today, like we actually have like a really nice following. I think it's really shifted the brand perception. I, I think the, um, you know, it, it used to be that you could go out with a, I mean, I'm talking 10, 15, 20 years ago, you could go out with a brand message that would sort of claim we're a different kind of company. And people would be like, oh, that's fine. I, I believe it. Uh, you, you know, your brand perception would change. Your 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 personality would change. Your tone would change. But ultimately, with the amount of transparency with social media, with the about ability for all of us to talk about what's going on, it is actions. You know, over ads that are actually you know making the biggest dent in perceptions. And it seems like that's exactly what you guys are doing. You're doing things um, that will make people actually you know see that you're doing things differently as opposed to just saying what you're doing. Things. Yeah, I think that's the biggest change of the past few years. Is there there is now perfect transparency. And so what you say doesn't matter, what you do really matters. Yeah. And so you have to focus on your resources on doing things that are aligned with what you are saying you will do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, You mentioned 
um, human-centered design, which you know obviously is the cornerstone of, of what you do. Um, oftentimes, I feel like when we talk to some of our clients, it's an either-or situation. I, either I want to be digital and tech-centric, or I want to be you know super warm and human. But um, seems like it, the best way to do that is, is to bring those two things together. And sometimes the best way for a brand um, to feel more connected to people is actually to give them a solution um, that is giving them something maybe they've never seen before. How do you mm-hmm. how do you think about you know the intersection of of a more human technological experience? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I mean, we're a tech company. More than half of our employees are in engineering. Uh, many people don't know, know that about Visa. So at our core, we really are. We, we actually refer to ourselves as the world world's first fintech. Um, but we also have a very deep, robust human-centered design practice. And it's fascinating. We, we, we have the advantage of the Stanford's D schools just down the, the road, and a bunch of people from our team came from there. And, um, and when you... I have practiced this at a number of companies now. There's a thing that happens where uh, until the senior executives sort of understand the value of like primary human uh, anthropological research uh, based on empathy, and I use that word very – if you've done human design, you know that empathy is the first of the five steps. Um, like you just miss. And that's the, – for whatever reason, companies – always want to shortcut that. And I, th- I suspect that's a challenge that agencies have, is there's a set of research, fundamental research you really have to do to, to deeply understand the pain point or you know the gap that's missing in some service offering. And if you can nail that, then you win. But that's the place where everyone wants to shortcut it. Mm-hmm. If, you have, if you invest and deeply understand the pain points um, or what the customer needs are, your ability then to build tech that meets that is exponentially more powerful. Well, you know, meeting. I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking and looking at some of the, the stuff that you're doing. There are there are solutions that are going to do things that I do now differently, easier, quicker, yep. uh, with less hassle. Uh, but there are also going to be innovations that just totally upend how I think or how we think, and then you know, do it completely differently. Do you, do you think about those two things um, separately or are they sort of combined? Yeah, I mean, there's a, 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 I don't remember what the exact quote is, but there's some Steve Jobs quote, like if I had asked customers, they would, yeah. they would have never asked for the iPhone, effectively, yeah, right. what he said. Um, I actually think that's wrong. <laughs> Meaning, uh, his intuition, probably based on his own style of research and insights, and perhaps others, was that there was an opportunity to deliver something new. They just couldn't articulate it in the right ways. But I'm sure had you done the right human-centered research, you would have uncovered the need for some new thing. Okay, so it's actually the questions we're asking up front. We're using old, you know, old old methods, old methodologies. I, I, no, I maybe, just think that we're limited by the, yeah. the framework we self-impose, right? So when you're asking a question, you have a framework of, in which that answer is set. But if you can free yourself from that framework, the answer could, if you took it from some orthogonal different view, all of a sudden you understand, oh, that opens up an entire new vector of growth or a new product area, a new service offering that we hadn't really thought of before. I mean, how do you, so, I mean, help me. How do you do that? How you do you do <laughs> have good people. <laughs> Talent matters. Yeah. No, the, by the way, and, and I was being flip when I said that. I, it, the the opposite is actually true in this sense. Um, I'm convinced that. Uh, so I run design at Visa. A subset of that are the people that are trained in sort of uh, de school human centered design stuff. Uh, 
among purist designers, they actually scoff at the whole D school thing, uh, and they kind of make fun of it. And it's, it, to be honest, it, it probably is overdone and is sort of touchy feely some of that stuff. But it is it's not it's just a methodology. It's a five step methodology that if you follow it like a recipe, it ensures that the thing you're solving for is something that a customer actually wants mm-hmm. or where they actually have a pain point. And so, and the first step is empathy. And if you don't unshort if you don't shortcut the five step of how you get through it, um, you'll actually come up with good answers, good outcomes. Just follow the process. And by the way, it's not hard. Actually, part of the, the reason why it gets criticized is what happens is you get some uh, seniorish executives, some let's call it VP, middle management folks, who go through the training for human centered design. They learn the five steps. They do it as a one or two day offsite. Uh, and then they go back to the office and magically they're like, you know, I do human-centered design, right? And that's why the designers go, oh, great. Like, that's not design. <laughs> that's right? not going to work. It is, it is a sub-practice of it. Yeah. And I'm glad you're, you're now fluent in the language of it, and you can appreciate the work that's being done. But it's, it is no substitute for, be, for actually doing that work on a daily basis. I think that goes back to, and I think what, what I get excited about some of the people that we have, you know, that we try to, to have on staff here, and, and, and when we look for people, is that you're looking for people from different perspectives. So, um, you know, thinking that a, a, a D-School, um, you know, methodology would work in an in a advertising agency, or looking at a planner or a strategist in an, in an agency working for, a, you know, a client or using as a tech startup or having them be involved in something that maybe they weren't involved with before, I think ensures that you're constantly not solving the, the problem the same way everyone else is. You're constantly bringing new ideas to the table. Yep. Um, you oversee an enormous amount um, and you get to see an enormous amount that's actually changing the world. What's, what is happening right now in the world that's got your interest peaked the most? Uh, wow, that's an awesome question and super fun. Uh, it really varies. Yeah. So each region of the world are going through very, very different things. So um, the most impactful thing, I think, for our world is the stuff that's coming out of China. Right. The, it, we have 1.4 billion people on a planet that has just over 7 billion, an emerging middle class, second largest economy, and it's being run in a completely different model. And there's incredibly powerful companies coming out of it, like Alibaba and others, uh, who are operating in different ways. And that stuff is now being exported to the rest of the world. Yeah. So um, like that is a mega trend we should all keep an eye on. Uh, but then uh, you look at India, 1.2 billion people, a large emerging middle class who just abolished cash effectively. Um for a whole set of reasons, and their economy uh, would basically, it, it, in, in removing 85% of the currency in circulation on 72 hours notice, uh, the two things happened. Number one, uh, these were the stated objectives, while not fully uh, true. It, it basically took a lot of bribes out of the system, so it sort of cleans up corruption. Number two is it, it moves all of the informal economy, the, the shadow economy, onto the taxable grid. So government now has visibility into it. They can tax it. And there's a whole set of benefits that come with it. Um, and so India is radically changing which and being uplifted. So that's going to change the world. If you look at Europe, um, the whole they, the the regulars is called PSD two Payment Services Directive two because there was one before um, basically creates open banking which mm-hmm. is a thing that's been talked about for years but it's never actually been applied and so the EU is now the place where it's going to happen where your banking account 
you now have control over it and you can give full access to any fintech, any other bank, any third party who can apply for a license. They can see all of your transactions. They can move money from point A to point B. Um, and it's going to radically change financial services all throughout Europe. And so many governments around the world are looking at that to see how it plays out, uh, to see whether they should adopt it. So I think you're seeing like really innovative stuff happening in every other place in the world. Interestingly enough, and this is I often talk about this with our North American clients is uh, North America is no longer the place where a lot of the leading innovation is being generated. Right. The big tech in the U.S. are looking at China and India, Europe, South America, and then they they're taking those innovations and trying to replicate them here. That's a new thing. That's what I was actually going to. I guess because you see it globally, you probably don't necessarily always focus on, on North America. But do you think sometimes that we're are we? Would you like to see North America jump ahead in terms of its ability to play on the national stage of you know that sort of technological innovation? Uh, and look, that is the the basis of a thriving keep economy. Pushing us, keep yeah. pushing us. I think he's. I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, everything, as I said before, you've done. You know, or, or almost everything you've done has been something that I think really does move the ball forward. Whether it was you know early in your career or now, what's what's next on your docket of the thing that you think is really going to either help you or or help Visa sort of you know um, you know change the way we see finance. Um, the big thing that I see happening around the world that I think will change a lot of things are the uh, what we call in the industry is real-time payment networks. So basically within a country or a, a set of countries like the EU, the degree to a standard is that your banking becomes real-time. So as you know today in, in North America, if you say you go through your bill pay and I want to pay the utility company, that'll show up two days later or any what's called ACH transaction. Um, or you want to move money from account A to account B. Well, in other places in the world that have these real-time payment networks, it's a matter of minutes. And there's no re- – look, tech is super easy to do. It's A lot of it's just regulatory and some compliance and making sure you've mitigated the risks in the right ways. Um, I think the world will move increasingly to real-time payments and money movement everywhere instantaneously. And will that change how we do everything? I just think it just takes a lot of friction out of the system. And yeah. what, we've, what we know about economics is that when you increase the velocity of money, good things happen. Well, that's awesome. Well, look, I appreciate you being here. This is an amazing um the things that I've seen you talk about, as I said, made me question whether I'm doing the right thing or not. I got to come up with a new purpose now. I got to break the rules. I think you said it was at 30 when people wake up soulless. I'm 45. We'll see. But thank you All very right, much. For for you. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Impact Interviews. Love what you heard or hate it? Send us an email and let us know at impact at martinagency.com. And if you love our theme music, I Crush the Mountainside by Space Bomb House Band, check them out at spacebombrecords.com.